0: Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, August 9th, we are studying Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 to 16, in today's text, Solomon speaks again concerning the vanity of all man's toil under the sun, yet not without some glimmers of hope and enjoyment. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Oh, thanks for having me back.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the book of Ecclesiastes, Pastor Wergau. Some might think it's a very depressing book. Solomon's very real here. What should we know about this book as we prepare to look at this text?
1: Yeah, I like how um, some might think of it as a depressing book and Solomon's real because I think when Solomon has to be real, it can be quite depressing. Uh, because, I mean, it is, he, he's showing a reality, I think, that is often kind of hardened or overlooked by uh, by people. Uh, they, they get a glimpse of it, I think, but it's this really, uh, I think, homileticians uh, humil- use the term mirror of existence. But it is, it is you know, he's not glossing over painful realities, and even kind of seeming paradoxes or, or, contradictions or tensions that are held within a life, uh, in the sinful world. And that's really key as we kind of look into this as really true wisdom literature. Wisdom is not to acknowledge, uh, to ignore, uh, problems, uh, that are faced in this world. Uh, that's foolishness. Uh, wisdom actually really does put it all out there full, full force and, uh, uh, Only then can we find um, our answer not within the broken system, but uh, in that which comes from outside. Mm.
0: So in terms of what we're going to read today, and in terms of Ecclesiastes as wisdom literature, what introductory thoughts do we need?
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, I think a few good things. I think it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to just take uh, one bit of Ecclesiastes out of context, but to read the whole, really. And what I've kind of noticed in studying this is you, you read, um, all of this seemingly negative stuff, always in light of, uh, really what comes kind of at the end with 12, uh, chapter 12, the end of chapter 12, some of the final words where, where it really brings it back to the the fear of God and his commandments, uh, uh, the fear of the Lord, um, and, and how everything is vanity, but then we're brought to this, what do you do? Uh, and it's, it's, it's fear of the Lord in the end of the matter, uh, all has been heard fear god keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man and that's great but that's not quite it then too because we often we have to also see that as the fulfillment in christ so god's law stands god's law is 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 really the, the reason why there there is this uh, or, or our um our breaking of god's law is the reason why we have all of this this vanity the striving after the wind because of our sinfulness but in christ is the fulfillment of the law really does He's the wisdom that we ultimately have, uh, and that we read really. And I don't think we should be ashamed of this into every every part of Ecclesiastes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Jesus says that the whole Bible's about Him, so we're not right. we're, we're not reading right. it into it. We're we're reading what Jesus says is there.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: yep. yeah. So, okay. Key words: vanity, under the sun. We've talked a little bit about these throughout the series. Any any comments on those as we prepare to look at this text?
1: Yeah, might not be anything new than what you've already talked about. Uh, vanity, obviously, I mean, I think even if you just ask somebody who just has a cursory knowledge of the Bible, what is Ecclesiastes, and they're going to pull up things about vanity. Uh, that, that's a really key word, 38 times. Uh, um, it's kind of a catchword, but it's a catch word for kind of this uh, futility, uh, meaningless, really, hopelessness of human circumstances in the sinful world, uh, apart from Christ. Uh, and then also, we'll see this come up in um, uh, a little bit, kind of in the middle of the text we're looking at, when he talks about vanity under the sun, uh, and that under the sun is just kind of the all-encompassing nature. There's nowhere you can't you can't get away from the sun. There's nowhere you can't get away with yeah. away from the realities that Ecclesiastes puts forth. Mm. Right,
0: right. And and we've also mentioned when it comes to under the sun that Solomon is considering life then from the observable human perspective and right. and that's not to forget then that there is also the perspective that god gets either we've talked about it as the one who is you know has created the son so from his perspective mm-hmm. or life under the, sun, the son the s o n the son of god both of those are <laughs> yes. necessary to keep this in the the full the full context of all of holy scripture
1: right because we often talk about this when we're teaching you know um the law of god uh understanding or law of gospel we talk about you know there is this kind of under the sun, it can be just the uh, uh, not special revelation, uh, but uh, the general revelation that God gives of of, of creation, uh, but that is very limited in how we understand God apart from then his special revelation, uh, so to have a natural knowledge of God is good, but what we're left with really is what is the vanity and the chasing after the wind, until we have that that special revelation, which really does then put into perspective the sinful fallen world, but also the world that's been redeemed by Christ.
0: With those thoughts in mind, let's take a look at the text. This is Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning at verse four. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And, although, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne though in his own kingdom he had, been, he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. That's our text for today. That is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 to 16. Pastor Workout, before we look at individual verses and sections, maybe give us a breakdown of, of what Solomon is talking here, section by section. It's almost parts of this have more of a, a proverbial feel than other parts of the Book mm-hmm. of Ecclesiastes. So, can you just give us a a handle on the the structure of this section for us before we look at individual passages?
1: Yeah, for sure. The yeah, proverbial is very good in this section. A good way to describe it. In fact, you actually even have kind of these this like kind of pithy sayings almost, uh, especially at the beginning. But uh, we want quite a few verses here that we've gone through. Um, and I think you kind of see three, three kind of themes arise. Um, I think they're inter- interconnected quite a bit too. But the three kind of distinct things you see is kind of uh, addressing of, of work, uh, you know, with uh, four verses four through six. And then um, you kind of get into this idea of, which I think kind of flows into from work and toil, into this understanding of companionship. And we would put marriage, I think, in there, too. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. So, you know, that's what you get with 7 uh, seven through, through through 12. And then 13 almost takes a little bit of a shift, and that's talking about kings, a king. Uh, and so I think we can talk about this kind of in terms of, of earthly authority um, and, and and kind of maybe that grasp even for power in that sense as well uh, that would come from, from a king. So... We kind of have three themes, and all three of those kind of hold in common this, this understanding of these are actually good things that God has given. Uh, and I think we hold that up and, and understand that as we go through this, because we're talking about things under the sun, things of creation, which are things that are created by God uh, for his good purposes, but now face the effects of sin. Uh, so work is a good thing, but now for the sinful fallen creature, it, it, it then also has these these problems that arise from it. Uh, Companionship's a good thing, but because of uh, the fall into sin, a fall fall in creation, there is isolation and loneliness. And worldly government's a good thing, but because of the fall in creation, uh, that also is corrupted. Hmm.
0: All right, so let's take these sections one at a time. Starting in verse 4 and following, Solomon says that he sees the toil and skill in work he sees it's vanity because it's coming out of a man's envy for his neighbor. What's Solomon talking about?
1: Right. So so there's kind of three little sayings here, right? So the first one we tackle, uh, all on work. And they almost seem to be kind of, not, again, not contradictory, but almost kind of like intention. So you kind of have this first thing, which is which is work is wrongly motivated. You have the second thing, which is make sure you work. Uh, and then you have the third thing, which is uh, it's better to rest than to work. Uh, seemingly, that's kind of how it comes across. So so the first one that you do have, though, it talks about the motivation of work, which I think is dead on, spot on. Um, uh, and again, Solomon's not pulling any punches here, and he's not being soft about any of this stuff. But he is uh, saying that, that the, the work and toil and skill of a person comes from a man's envy or jealousy, uh, rivalry even of his neighbor. I think we can kind of think about this as uh sometimes we can think about this as kind of like keeping up with the joneses kind of thing but a lot of the motivation for people's work is to have a better life than their neighbor uh that they see what their neighbor has and they want better so they toil after this and they strive to to, to build up their barns to fill their barns to 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 have the security over and against their neighbor uh, because they're jealous for what their neighbor has, and it's not simply just, I think, pleasures, um, but it also comes from even just the security. You know, so you like somebody that has a, you're envious of somebody that has a, a larger uh, uh, retirement plan than you do because you know they're going to have security. So, so this is the motivation that Solomon talks about. This is this is the work, and then he he just kind of nails it by saying, "This is vanity, and it's a striving after the wind. That this is not actually." the true good motivation of someone's work. It should not come out of this this jealousy, which really falls back into the, um, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue with nine and 10. Uh, this comes from coveting and envy that strives from that, not being uh, content with what we have and striving uh, and desiring what our neighbor has. Hmm.
0: But this is the game that that gets played all the time. as we we compare ourselves, we look to that, and and that we think motivates us to a, to a good end. But Solomon says, no, it's not actually helping you at all.
1: Right, exactly, and especially because we'll see that that with these with these ideas about work, is they, they ultimately are not in service to the neighbor; they're for our own uh, wants or desires. And I think yeah. you kind of see that a bit when when we kind of dig a little bit more into it it's 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 doing it simply for oneself yeah. and not for the other
0: yeah that's that's been something that's come up on numerous occasions as we've read through ecclesiastes so far that a lot of the vanity that's that's involved here is the fact that i'm doing this for myself and i i forget when i i mentioned this but it's been in my mind all along is that parable that jesus tells about the rich fool in luke chapter mm-hmm. 12 who you know he does everything for himself He's even only talking to himself. And what happens to him? Well, he, he dies. You know, I mean, and I think there's, there's some, that's a very negative example of what Solomon is talking about here, Or you know, the very real example. Look, look at all the labor that he did. He died. That was that. So Jesus says, store up your treasures toward God. That's much better than what this rich fool does.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then we come in with the second part with yep. um, the man twiddling his thumbs. So this is, this is, I don't know if it's a counterbalance to this or folding his hands. I always think of twiddling the thumbs. If he's folding his hands, he's got I mean, I guess that, what else are you gonna that do? plays into it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but maybe we can see this as a counterbalance so that you can't retort like, uh, okay, works wrongly motivated, so I'm just not going to work. Uh, because work, again, is a good gift from God, and it's the very fact that um, – I mean, it's, it's natural law, again. If one um, doesn't work, uh, if he folds his hands and is simply a consumer, uh, he's going to eat his own flesh, uh, which, which we'll talk here in a second. It can be hyperbolic, but it also could be very literal uh, to a certain extent as we talk about God's judgment in that, too, but uh, – you know, this is something that Solomon brings up in Proverbs as well, like Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, when he talks about how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Or you think of Paul's exhortation uh, in the New Testament to the Thessalonians uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Um, if a man, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Or his exhortation to Timothy when he says, uh, "If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever." So obviously, trust in God, faith in God, uh, as believers, does not negate the fact that 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 there is work to be done in service to our neighbor. Uh, but even in service, to a certain extent, this this deals with ourselves too, right? Uh, we 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 can't simply be consumers we have to be producers as well maybe that's oversimplifying it but but we're always going to be consumers you always need to consume or you're going to be eating up your own flesh but also then be a producer uh uh is 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 significant in this to see to the needs of others um of course you know we have this idea of taking it hyperbolically as, as cannibalism uh but this also relates elsewhere in the old testament to the judgment of god uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with Leviticus 26, when it says, as a judgment of God is eating up, eating the flesh of your sons and eat the flesh of your daughters. Um, and, and that also could be hyperbolical, but we do have evidence of this, like, that this is actually a very literal thing, too, as a judgment of God uh, um, being one that, that that leads to the eating up of flesh. The, uh, of human flesh of cannibalism in that mm. sense too um and and there's evidence of this for the first for the um uh old testament sieges on jerusalem right. but as well as uh in new testament AD 70 josephus uh has that in his i think it's in uh the jewish wars mm. i think it's in the jewish wars i can't remember which word it i had to actually translate that for an advanced greek class that section and i'll tell you what it's it's, it's shocking yeah. to, to kind of hear, yeah. to see that as a literal thing, but as a judgment, really that comes upon the people because of their refusal or their rejection of God. So. Right,
0: right. Here, I mean, and of course, you know, I mean, I could certainly be wrong. Here I, I take it more in the sense of, this is what happens when you don't work. You you just kind of, you waste away, and your, your flesh right. consumes itself in in starvation of sorts, but you're right. I mean, this is certainly a judgment of God that we see the book of Lamentations talks this way. And and again, a very shocking text when you you look at that in the book of Lamentations. So we've, we've got both sides here when it comes to the matter of toil in this life, on the one hand, Solomon says, if you've got the wrong motivation, it's vanity. If you don't do anything, that's, that's vanity because you're going to die. You're just going to waste away, eat yourself. How does, how does verse six play into this matter of toiling under the sun?
1: Yeah, I think now some people kind of see this as kind of a golden means like a, a way in the middle and I think I think so. But I think we have to rightly understand it. So it's not like Your works going to be wrongly motivated. So you have to work. So just do the best you can. Uh, I think actually it comes from the understanding of work coming from rest and then that I think we also need to understand Christologically. Uh, rest is that which actually comes from Christ. So this is kind of the sanctification of our work or I mean we often use the term vocation I think is right. Uh, and this is the idea that um, what we what what we um, what we believe uh, concerning Christ and our faith in Christ actually finds its fruit in the work that we do in our callings in life. Um, but that also stems from the true rest we find in Christ, in His forgiveness, in His life and salvation. That we're not actually working for ourselves, because Christ has taken care of that. So we work in service to the to the other. Our works are not used for our salvation, but they're used. Uh, uh, in love to the neighbor and in service to the neighbor as God works in the world. So maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I think that's kind of a, uh, an important point to kind of have as we look into this. So it says, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself, uh, uh, or sorry, I, I read the wrong line. Um, better is a handful of quietness uh, or rest than two handfuls of toil and a striving after the wind. That is that work for the sake of work um uh, uh, means nothing apart from, uh, means nothing. And we find our rest or our, um, our quietness, uh, not simply in the leisure of putting off work, but I think, again, we need to understand this as true wisdom. We find it in, in, uh, the rest we have in the fear, love, and trust of God and in Christ, uh, and his forgiveness.
0: Hmm. So I mean th- I think what you're what you're saying fits in with a, a couple of things. Uh, one is is the way that Paul talks in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where mm-hmm. he where he commands us to pray for all authorities, but he says the reason that we should do that is so that we would lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And I think, you know, those those terms peaceful and quiet life, but also godly and dignified mm-hmm. talk to the reality that, that Solomon is speaking about here in 4 verse 6, and then echoing that language of, of St. Paul in 1 Timothy 2, and, and, and maybe Solomon here in Ecclesiastes 4, is the, the collect for peace that's often found in the evening services, which mm-hmm. I, again I think holds these two things together, the, the peace, the rest, the quietness, along with the work. So the, the collect mm-hmm. for peace goes like this, O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us your servants that peace which the world cannot give that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments and also that we being defended from the fear of our in- uh, from the fear of our enemies may live in peace and quietness. So again you have the the thought of the true work that's there that God gives us in the commandments but also in the context of the peace, the quietness, the rest that alone mm-hmm. can come from God.
1: Right, exactly. That, that's that's wonderful. Another one I like, since we'll just we'll just pray collects here. I think that's good. It's fantastic. Uh, is the is the post-communion collect uh, for the divine service. And well, there's several options, but the one I always find that kind of relates to this understanding of 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 rest in Christ and and love to the neighbor uh, is that we find our rest <clears throat> in the body and blood of Christ and receiving forgiveness of sins and, and communion with Him, uh, and then we pray uh, after the nookdoms, Lord, let Your servant depart in peace. We give thanks. God, that you have refreshed us through the solitary gift and the important mercy you have strengthened us through the same, that is, through the gift of the forgiveness of sin, Jesus' body and blood, in faith toward you, but also then in fervent love toward one another. Yeah. And that love toward one another is the work. You know, that's actually the Christian's motivation for work is to love one another. And and of course, you know, we're saints and sinners, so we're never purely motivated in these things. We like we like our raises, and and there's there's merit to that. But that is not the purpose of any work that a Christian does. No matter how meager the task is, uh, it's always in service to their neighbor. So the garbage man picking up the garbage does it. He needs a paycheck. He needs to provide for his family and himself so that he can keep picking up garbage mm-hmm. as a Christian. But he does pick up the garbage because that's what a Christian does for Better. the neighbor. Because the neighbor needs their garbage picked up, <laughs> uh, so it doesn't matter the task whether it's a pastor or a garbage man uh, or a mother or a father, whatever it would be. Good, goodly vocations are always seeing the needs of the neighbor, because the Christian has found peace in this life in Christ.
0: Yeah, and I think this this talk of the neighbor and the good works done in service of the neighbor does help us to connect. What, what Solomon talks about in verses 4 through 6 into the next section where he starts talking about the matter of, of companionship and having someone else. Before we make that move, though, is there any more comments on verses 4 to 6, Pastor Wargo?
1: Um, Again, I think this kind of main thing to keep in mind is we always want to take these uh, uh, teachings from Ecclesiastes uh, well beyond just the simply earthly, practical uh, so, for example, uh, commentary on this by uh, Dalich uh, talks about this as the idleness of strength, but on the other hand, a little of true rest is better than the labor of windy effort, urged on by rivalry, yielding no rest. He kind of tries to see this well, it's good to work, but you got to work for the right reasons. And I mean, it's good practical advice, but again, we can take Jesus completely out of the picture there. Mm. And, and we need to do that. We shouldn't do that. Uh, and so, actually, I Pretty a commentary on this does a good job with it when it talks about believers who operate with God's values, work hard to, even though by God's free grace they already have all the treasure that they need, blissful eternity. In the meantime, they rejoice in the work itself, because that's a gift from God, and are content with the simple pleasures granted through their vocation. So I think that kind of helps to, to, to look at this as how Christians, how uh, this is uniquely Christian. Ecclesiastes is uniquely Christian. It's it's, it's our Bible, and this is how it relates to our Christian life.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So Solomon, in verse 4, has talked about the matter of envy being a bad motivation, that idea of competition— now he's going to kind of turn that more toward a positive light when he we're thinking about cooperation, and I think that's going to help us to tie these next verses together. So about two minutes here before our break, Pastor Wargal, help us into to verses seven and eight. Get us started there.
1: Right. Okay. So it kind of begins again. There's kind of an introduction to it in seven with again this vanity and under the sun, which has been the case for work, but it, but Solomon's kind of just putting that forward again. I saw vanity under the sun. So this is the reality that we're facing. The vanity we see, and, and it deals with relationships, and it deals with companionship. So, um, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. So again, work here, uh, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So, so I think this really does flow well um, because it, it's showing the loneliness, um, and and how that uh, the loneliness hurts on really two counts that which we'll see a little bit later. But the first count we talked about, I should say, is that no one can really truly enjoy life's simple pleasures on his own. There's always something missing there. And that's all the toil and all the labor that is not then used in service to the neighbor or shared um, ends up becoming just fruitless or, or pointless, really, if it's just simply used for the self. And that is he points out his eyes are never satisfied with riches because he says, "Who am I doing this for? Uh, who am I depriving myself of pleasure for? Uh, who, who am I working so hard for if there's no one to share that with?" Mm.
0: Yeah, that that's a really key question to keep in mind, and it's it's one that again is spoken in terms of lament here in verse eight. But I think it's it's one that we would do well to ask ourselves so that we can keep the proper perspective when it comes to work. And we're going to keep talking about these things on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Sam Wurgow this morning about Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
2: Lutheran Church Extension Fund exists to support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and church workers. How do we do this? Your investment with LCEF makes it possible for LCMS churches, schools, organizations, and church workers to receive low-cost loans for new and growing ministries. And faithful Lutherans like you, church members, and church workers alike make that possible when you invest with LCEF. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 9th. We're studying Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 to 16 with Pastor Sam Wergau. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, we were looking at verses 7 and 8. Solomon is lamenting. He asks this question, though, that is, is worth our consideration. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Talk to us more about these verses, 7 and 8.
1: Right. So again, this is kind of the the, the the relationship of of that what we get that that which we get out of toil uh, and um, companionship, and we really do see what comes forward here is kind of a lament that speaks of the lack of fulfillment that's found in riches, uh, and kind of the, even the seeming pointlessness of of working so hard if it does not find a place outside of the one that's working. I mean, I kind of brought it up again at the, at the beginning of the the, the, the show that um, there is this understanding of being consumers and being producers. Hmm. Um, and, and the idea that when we are strictly consumers and focused solely on ourselves and consuming what we have, and even in our work, so I work simply for myself, uh, then there, is, there there's something lacking in that. So one commentator speaks about this section as referring to a lonely miser, um, uh, someone who amasses all the wealth can find no pleasure in what he has. And uh, the Concordia commentary on this furthermore notes that the longer a person works, the more he wallows in his dissatisfaction. Work winds up pushing satisfaction farther off, not attaining it. Uh, We're really not attaining what we need if we're not bad enough being alone if that's not bad enough being alone only heightens that dissatisfaction i think you kind of get a sense of this i think we all are familiar with the christmas carol and you're familiar with scrooge and you're familiar with you know how he was kindly that lonely miser uh, who had accumulated great great wealth but was ultimately unsatisfied with that well especially after the 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 christmas ghosts um (laughs) the ghosts of christmas past present and future come come at him. But, but that is, I mean, I think that's painting a, a very real picture of uh, of our sinful condition when we're turned in upon ourselves. Uh, and even our work then is simply for ourselves without having any uh, uh, any joy in sharing that with others.
0: Mm. Now, Solomon starts to, to turn this more toward the positive aspect of it in verses 9 to 12, continuing with the theme of companionship. And I, I think in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12, we come to another one of those pretty well-known passages from the book of Ecclesiastes, at least relatively speaking. Sometimes this gets used as, as wedding text, So maybe maybe just comment a little bit on that, Pastor Wargao, the, the aspect of this as a wedding text. What do you think of this?
1: Yeah, I actually just had this as a wedding text for a wedding I had in uh, was the beginning of June. So that was kind of funny when that popped back up. I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, so it it does work. I think it's suggested in the uh, Lutheran Service Book uh, agenda for uh, possible text for a wedding. So I think, you know, the traditional ones are good too, uh, and a little bit more clear about marriage and its estate. But but this one is is good too because I think it, it's it's we don't limit it to marriage. Um, I think it does definitely relate to husbands and wives. Uh, you know, again, it's not good for the man to be alone back in the garden, so that God provides uh, a helper for that mutual companionship uh, that, that they share with one another in adversity uh, and, in, um, and in pleasure. So, so that's um, kind, of, kind of important as we kind of go through this. And you're right, this is kind of more of a, a positive look at it. It also though is one that um, really relates to the fact that, that no one can bear the attacks and the problems of this world uh, on their own and uh how we actually are in need of this community we are in need of one another uh so that i mean quite simply in verse nine two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil now i don't think we need to understand reward here or do here as as um you have another person so that you can gain more stuff um but uh you know, so that so you get more reward, you get more, but I think the reward actually is just simply in having the companionship, which actually then plays into 10, 11, and 12. What is the reward is that you have someone to lift you up, keep you warm, and uh, fight off the enemy.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the the matter of, of reward, I mean, maybe, and this maybe seems a little, little silly, but you know, if you're golfing alone and you hit a hole in one, no one's there to witness it or to share that joy with you. Who Who's going to believe you if you don't have—I mean, so there's there's other things that companionship brings besides simply the, you know, just the material aspects of it. There's a blessing to the companionship that, that goes beyond the material things.
1: Right, exactly, I, exactly. I'm not a
0: very good golfer either, Pastor Wargo, so I would never, <laughs> ever hit a hole in one, but— but I right. told but that. But if you were by yourself, be. you could tell everybody that you did. Yeah, that's but, right. uh, <laughs> but no one would believe me. See, that's, that's why right. <laughs> that's why I would have to golf with someone else. <laughs> Despite the embarrassment of being terrible at it. I need it just in case I hit a hole in one. So I have that joy of companionship. Again, maybe exactly. maybe a bit silly and, and, and trite, <laughs> but I think it it holds up. So keep keep digging into this section for us
1: right exactly so so you have this reward first of all uh but then you kind of go into <clears throat> excuse me you go into these um these other um things that are helpful or or, or to have companionship that is you come up across these dangers that come your way um and and when we see it kind of in in three things the first one is the falling down and then secondly you have the idea of um the enemy of cold, I guess, and this this uh, keeps keeps one warm. And then you have the actual enemies who are assaulting that can be can be uh, uh, warded off. Uh, again, the Concordia commentary on this by Bullhagen notes that these three verses simply offer examples of coping uh, corporately with life: mm. uh, falling down, shivering in the cold, facing hostility. Uh, these are all negative encounters in the fallen world. But helping another up, keeping warm, and staving off attacks are all positive ways of coping with the fallen world. Now, again, that's something, but I think we need to take it another step further. And this is the Christian Bible. So we need to understand Mm. this is not simply about coping. Companionship's not simply, well, the world's a terrible place, but at least we go at it together. There's some aspect to it. But I think when we talk about companionship and communion, Mm. we actually need to first start with, uh, whether it's in marriage or or in other things, we first start with actually the communion of Christ Mm. uh, in his church uh and you know so so you know where two or three are gathered there i am with you uh no matter the cold no matter the um the assaults of the devil or the world or even our own sinful flesh and christ's promise at the end of matthew i am with you always to the end of the age um so that's the communion we have first and foremost whether it's a marriage or whether it's uh brothers and sisters in christ uh or whether it's the christian individually uh but then our Christian love and companionship flows out of that to the others. Um, so that, um, and again, Bolhagen notes this uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 10 through 12 is not simply about the human advantage of companionship that anybody could, you know, that's just practical adage of wisdom, but it also is a passage that has the, in the deepest sense is teaching us the eternal benefit of communion with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we see, we see just a picture of that in our, earthly communions, that's what we talk about Marriage is, you know, a communion of Christ, a picture of Christ in his bride, the church. We get to faintly show that mm. in, in marriage and in uh, the mutual companionship of, of brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have that even more in the communion that we have with Christ himself uh, through faith and, and that we receive from him in his holy Christian church.
0: Mm. So maybe, I mean, to think about it in terms of the the companionship that we have with Jesus, which I think is a great thing to keep in mind as we read this from a Christian perspective, the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 maybe are, are applicable here then, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you try to go at it alone without Jesus— you bear the burden, but with Jesus as your companion, then he bears the burden for you. I mean, that, that seems applicable to this Christian conception of what you're talking about here in Ecclesiastes 4.
1: No, I think so. I think that's, that's uh, a great uh, illustration and the promises of God for this. And another one um, that was kind of brought up in the commentaries was with this first danger, if one falls down, uh, who will pick him up? it was the, uh, was the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So the Samaritan's down, he's not getting up, beaten up by robbers. And who is going to pick him up? There has to be another. And yeah. another, the other in the parable is not the, the priest or the Levite, but it was the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, which of course we understand as being Christ, who picks us out of uh, the ditch where we're bloodied by our sins and by the accusations of God's law. And he he lifts us up and picks us up and carries us.
2: Mm.
0: So that's the the first danger, the one falls. If he's all by himself, there's no one else to pick him up, so it's good to have the companion there. What about the matter of, of the danger of cold in
1: verse 11? Right, I, I think that's fascinating, uh, this, this idea that—and um, how does it go? Because, again, if, if two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? I think this does also relate to the understanding of uh, what we had looked at earlier with this idea of of, of working for the other as well. Um, uh, that companionship is necessary to keep back, um, uh, to, to to keep warmth and with that life uh, in one another. Now, again, I think we can take this kind of maybe not, in a, we can take it in a literal sense for sure. Uh, and and especially that might relate to uh, to uh, uh, to marriage and the marriage bed. But um, we could also talk about this in terms of just simply, with cold comes death, right? Mm. Uh, and, and, and this companionship with one another, this warmth with one another, uh, is actually uh, keeping, keeping us going, keeping us alive.
2: Mm.
0: And then the, the third danger has to do with the, the attack of an enemy. What's said there
1: in verse 12? Right, so it's, it's a, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Uh, and, and, and that in itself is, is just kind of it helps us to understand that in the sinful fallen world, there are enemies. And again, I think we take it a step further to talk about not just simply people who are against us uh, uh, generically, but the enemies that we have against the Christian and against our faith in Christ, the devil, the world, uh, and even our sinful flesh. And that this is something about being in the church. Uh, and in this communion of saints and surrounded by witnesses, uh, faithful witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses, uh, and having that uh, companionship with fellow Christians is an understanding that you don't go at your sins alone, hmm. and that you have those who are going to to help you, to uplift you, even to the point where they have to point out where your sins are because you don't see it, because it's your sinful flesh that's fighting against you. But all the more, all, all the, the whole point is, is that this is... This is uh, fighting against the, the the temptations of the evil one, uh, and um, fighting with you know as Paul talks about in Ephesians six with the armor of God. But that's not something. The armor of God is not something simply one Christian straps on himself and goes marching into into battle or even stands defensively against all the attacks. We do it actually as uh, a, a communion, as a community.
0: Mm. Then, and this is where this section, I think, we definitely start to see that this is more than just the human companionship, you know, that you and I might have together if we we were to get together and fight against an enemy or or keep each other, you know, warm in in the same tent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Suddenly, at the end of verse 12, it's a threefold cord that's not quickly broken. Before it was two is better than one, and now all of a sudden there's a third person here. What's going on?
1: Now there's a third person here, and I think every time we hear three... uh... We, we should think there's something going on than just uh, two plus one. Uh, so th- there's been different interpretations about what this threefold is. Um, I think if you're preaching this on a wedding, though, it, it's – you can't help but get away from this understanding, the, the proper understanding that the two shall become one, that there's two. They are one now, but they actually united in marriage with Christ. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, some commentators – they just they don't want to see that <laughs> uh, but i think we're exactly right in talking about that and i mean not even again not limited to marriage christ is always kind of the third the third cord uh to all of our relationships in christ but especially in marriage because you have this understanding again then that you have you have um uh you have two unique individuals husbands and wife plus god who has brought them together and who shares that communion with them, but even better, Christ who sanctifies their marriage with the forgiveness of sins, and that's what holds that marriage together against the attacks of the world so that it's not easily broken. Uh, so that, that's kind of the relationship of marriage.
0: You were yep. going to say something. Well, no, and I, I think I think that's I, I've preached that at a wedding before. That the the third strand here is the Lord who actually unites the two together. And I, I, you know, I if the commentators disagree, I guess so be it. But I, I, th- I think that's exactly right. From a and, and I was thinking about this as as you were talking, just from um even outside of the relationship of marriage, but the the thought that you know Christians being together, it's it's also the matter of the un- union with the Lord. Uh, this is different numbers but i think it works in the book of daniel where you have the three men who go into the fiery furnace mm-hmm. when they look in there's the fourth right and that's you right. know that's the lord prior to his incarnation i, I think that's yeah. how we often would take that that'd be another right. example of it's you know it's not just hey we're all buddies and we're gonna you know get this together because we've got the strength in numbers but rather it's the fact that we're together in the lord maybe that's another example of that that extra cord right the the lord himself being the one that holds us together
1: right and then again we got to take it a step beyond just practical wisdom right Yeah. So, okay so you keep adding cords onto that the thing's going to get stronger okay so <laughs> you definitely want to have three people if you can if you can have three people it's better than two right okay, it's going to be stronger where anybody can believe that whatever <laughs> but, yeah. but when we believe this is as, as as related to the to our rule of faith and what the clear teachings of the scripture, then it makes perfect sense to understand this as, as Christ with us in our relationships to strengthen us against the the attacks of the enemy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So any more thoughts on this, the threefold cord? I'm sure there's other, other things out there that we could consider.
1: Yeah. uh, Gregory the great uh, actually took this as expounding the Trinity and it's kind of nice too. So, I mean, I don't know we can, we can take it for what it's worth. By a cord, faith is expressed, as Solomon witnesses, who says a threefold cord, threefold cord is not easily broken, because faith in truth, which is woven by the mouth of preachers from the knowledge of the Trinity, remaining firm in the elect, is broken only in the heart of the reprobate. So the idea that that the Trinity uh, is that uh, that threefold fold cord kind of relates to the Trinity, and um, eh, it works. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Okay. That's good. That's good. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of great stuff there from from Solomon. Let's let's keep moving so we make sure we can get through the whole text. Oh, sure, we've got about yeah. we've got 10 minutes here to, to talk about this last section, which does seem to take a bit of a turn, but is, I'm sure, not unrelated to what we're talking about. So what, what do we see as we move forward here into verse 13 and following?
1: Yeah, so now we're coming to this uh, this kind of, the idea of a king. Uh, and it starts with a kind of a you know, proverb, proverbial saying better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice okay so then surface level here i think we have something so so it brings us into this idea from work and companionship to this idea of earthly rulers and this contrast between really two big extremes okay so you have the the youth not only the youth but the youth who's poor and the opposite of a youth who's a poor is an old uh king okay so so think a King, you think of riches, right? So, so you have the young one who's poor, the old, the, the older one who then is, is, uh, King. And, but the, the thing that's different here is that the poor youth is a wise one has wisdom and the old King is a fool. And that foolishness, it seems like is related to this fact that he doesn't know, he no longer knew how to take advice, uh, that he wasn't willing to, to listen, but only to, to speak. So again there's something practical here but we can again take it i think another step here we we understand these opposites when we have to define what wisdom actually is Mm -hmm. uh so this poor youth is is wise uh and how would we understand this wisdom now um Bullhagen in the uh, Concordia commentary, defines this wisdom as it's used throughout Ecclesiastes as the spirit-given ability to ascertain through the word of God that the one who has created and redeemed us in Christ for, for the life to come cares about, even now, all the everyday existence, enough to show his children through explicit messages, the structure and meaning of his world, and the laws by which he governs it. So the idea that wisdom comes from God's word given by the spirit. But not simply for heavenly things but for the earthly things the things that we deal with in the day-to-day life he also talks about this as uh, kind of a sanctified wisdom or wisdom in relation to sanctification and that's wisdom uh uh the wisdom portion of god's word furnished into insightful meditations that increase the faith and guide the sanctified life again we talk about vocation uh we talk about how does god's word guide us in our lives uh, from the forgiveness of sins that we receive into our love for our neighbor. Uh, so so Bullhog and Candidate says the inner spiritual disposition of faith and the resulting good deeds that, that flow from it. So then I think we have to take this, we have this proper understanding of wisdom. The fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom's found ultimately in, in knowledge of our savior and then how that relates to, to um, everyday aspect of life. Then it's much more than simply the king's a fool because he he won't shut his mouth and listen to other people, but the fact that he won't hear or understand properly how God would guide him in his ruling and in his reigning. Um, and so then you kind of see this reversal kind of take place here, that this is better actually for the youth who's wise and poor, even though he's poor and, and young, than the old foolish king who in the eyes of the world would have... Uh, everything that would be necessary or needful, or what we'd be striving for, is—is
0: mm. is there a bit of autobiography on, on Solomon's part here? I mean, we've talked. Yeah, in... Bullhuggin
1: takes it that way. Okay. Yeah. yeah, go yeah. ahead with that. So, so he kind of, and I—I never read this before. I thought it was really interesting that this kind of fits with a, a traditional uh, reconstruction of Solomon's life as an author. So uh, Solomon, uh, some would say, would have wrote song of song songs as a vibrant, uh, young, younger yeah. husband. Uh, and then Proverbs, kind of when his wisdom and his reign were at their peak. And then Ecclesiastes is kind of a retrospect, kind of. Uh, he's a repentant old man who's seen the vanities of this world. And even in his kingship, as great as a king as he was, uh, and he's writing about it now. So I don't know if he if he's writing himself in as the foolish old king um, who wasn't willing to take advice. But it definitely does relate to kind of this, this uh, real image of just being a king uh, doesn't mean that you have everything that you need, uh, and that that actually would be better to be the wise youth.
0: Mm. Now, when, when he says in verse 14, he went from prison to the throne, is the he the, mm-hmm. the youth or the king?
1: Yeah, well, nobody knows. Oh, okay. Uh, well, there's a lot of no on this. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, so so yeah, that's a good question. Who is the subject of 14? Who's the Who's the youth? So is the youth, or who is the he? Is, the, is this the youth or is it the king? So grammatically, it's not as clear from what the commentators told me because they know Hebrew grammar better than I do. But <laughs> uh, but if we do take it as the king, we do have uh, uh, an understanding that as a, a leader is wise indeed when he when he remembers his roots, right? That many years ago he was, Volhagen uh, talks about as a street urchin and understanding where he came from, okay? Mm-hmm uh, that he came from prison, that, that, you know, he wasn't always a king. Okay. Uh, I think actually we find a little bit, it's a more interesting. I'll just put it that way. If we, if we take it as the youth to kind of see, uh, that the youth actually supplants the king, um, and then furthermore, this view can be taken with verse 15 as well. An old foolish king is then replaced by a poor but wise youth who then rises to the highest office in the land from jail. And then verse 15 introduces Um, longman says a third individual who replaces the poor youth so I think what we're kind of getting at here is you see just kind of this cycle or you see this this understanding that even these kings Hmm. don't last forever Hmm. that they that you know they're not these earthly kings come into their position from from somewhere and they they return to the dust, right? So trust not in rulers, they are but mortal. Mm, yeah. uh, and 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 we continue to kind of see this, and I think that really comes out in 16. There was no end of all the people, all whom he led, all these people. You know, he's got this great power and this earthly authority, yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Uh, so it's kind of the vanity of rule, vanity of popularity as a ruler, maybe even, and that this, that, all the powers of kings themselves and great armies ultimately is vanity and striving after wind. It doesn't last because it doesn't give an eternal solution.
0: Well, there's the the happy ending to Ecclesiastes chapter four, right. Pastor Workout. So we've, we've got about three minutes here, Pastor We're reflecting on the, the things we've talked about, the matter of toil, the motivation for work, the matter of companionship, earthly rulers. Help us to, to tie these things together. Appoint us to Christ from this text.
1: That's good. And we can do that with King, right? That's, that's an easy one. That's a softball. (laughs) (laughs) So trust not in rulers. They're all are but mortal and they're, they're going to fail. But um, what we see with all the toil under the sun, all the vanity chasing after the wind is all things from below in which we don't see them. We see them apart from Christ and his gifts. And I think Solomon does this intentionally Ecclesiastes that he puts aside In teaching this and then and then working these laments um the knowledge of christ so that we can see the reality uh mirror of a sinful fallen existence and not place our trust in those things not find the solution and the answers to work to our lives and our work or 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 simply in uh our own selves uh apart from others or in earthly rulers Uh, All kind of different things, but all related. But we find ultimately that these are good gifts that God gives of work and companionship and marriage and even earthly authorities. But their ultimate meaning is always in the wisdom of Christ, uh, who is our king uh, and who has rescued us, redeemed us, and saved us from the sinful fallen world. Mm.
0: Pastor Sam Rurgao is pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. He has been helping us today to study Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 4 to 16. Pastor Wergau, thanks for being our guest this morning.
1: I always enjoy it. Thanks a lot.
0: A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon has more in mind than just having three is better than two or four is better than three and so forth. Solomon has in mind the companionship of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our brother. He came in our flesh to bear our sin and be our savior. He remains with us as we are gathered together in his name and to have him on our side, who then can be against us for God is for us in our Lord and our savior, Jesus Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Ecclesiastes chapter 4 or any of the book, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. You can also download the KFUO app on your favorite app store. You can use the open mic feature there to send up to a 60-second message to us, comments, questions, any case. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.